All right, everyone, we'd like to welcome to the program PJ teaching professional and big sister of the lovable lefty, Tina Mickelson. Thanks for joining, Tina. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you on. And, you know, obviously you were raised in a golf rabid family down in San Diego. Who was the catalyst for that passion? You know, there's always somebody that has that spark. Right. So our dad has always been and still is a very avid golfer. And so as soon as we could basically stand up on our own two feet, he had a a club in our hand, which only um, included just the grip and the head of the club because they were so short. And what that did was gave us a, a very high comfort level with the golf club, period. Because as we all know, that can be very awkward and daunting when you first put put that in your hand. But if you don't remember ever having not had a golf club in your hand, it becomes a very natural thing. And so he just put it in our hand and let us do with it what we wanted, short of killing each other with it. And if he saw any bad habits or swinging the club that was really going to cause some problems later on, he would try to gently correct us and send us in the right direction, but there wasn't a whole lot of swing input until we were much older. And so the timing and the tempo that accompanied our golf swings, once we were able to talk and think about mechanics, the the timing and the tempo were so natural and comfortable, it made everything else so much easier. Well, he obviously did a good job, and you're the, the oldest of three with five-time major champion Phil being the middle child, and then former Arizona State men's golf coach and former agent for John Rahm and Tim being the yes. youngest. Yes. So would you would you allow yourself any credit for setting an example and driving that love for the game? Because, you know, it's always the oldest that younger siblings look up to. You know, um, to be quite honest, no. He, I wish I could say yes, but the minute – he was able to understand what a golf club is. He was absolutely obsessed to the point where at two and three years old, he would sleep with his golf clubs lined up by his bed, golf balls lined up around his bed. And uh, it, it was just an obsession unlike I've seen with anybody else. He ran away to the golf course when he was five because my parents wouldn't take him. So he got his little Flopsy, his stuffed dog, and his golf balls and his clubs and just walked the neighborhood. And a neighbor called my mom and said, I I think Phil's lost. He's walked past my house about three, four, five times now just walking around the block. And so my mom went to find him and said, where are you going? He said, I'm running away to live at the golf course. I just can't find it. So he uh, came home and got the the due punishment. But I've never known him to be tired of the game. On his days off, he's playing. Whenever he can think, talk, tweak the club, anything, golf, that's what he wants to do. Yeah, and he recently turned 50 years old, I believe, just last week. And you recently penned a, a lovely dedication piece for the SDJ website. Um, 
for those who haven't read it, go on, go and check it out on fourmagazine.com. But what is what is you know maybe one or two of your favorite childhood memories of Phil? You just referenced one there of him running running away to go live at the golf course. That's quite classic. Uh, you've written you've written a few of them in the past, so maybe give our listeners one or two of the better ones. I'd personally vote for the the Thanksgiving sneak out story. That's one of my favorites. I think that's one of our favorites too. So he was we were hosting Thanksgiving at our house. We have a very large family, so we were expecting twenty thirty people at our house, and we were maybe twelve thirteen fourteen at the time. And, of course, you have the chores that mom and dad tell you to do before everyone comes over later in the day. And so as we were doing that, I realized Phil wasn't anywhere to be found. And I know he asked our parents to take him to the golf course so he could practice that morning. And it was a hard no. It was, you know, no way you've got your your things to do that's Thanksgiving. We're not doing that today. So when he went missing, I clearly remember my mom calling the next door neighbor and uh, he had just gotten his license and so Phil paid him to drive him down to the golf course to play he was going to call him when he was ready to come home and I don't know how he thought in his head that was going to go I don't know if he thought that far he just wanted to get to the golf course so parents drive down they get in a cart they drive out to the hole where Phil is. He didn't so much as flinch. He turned to his other play partners and he said, oh, well, you guys are going to be a threesome for the rest of the round. I'm out. <laughs> and so our parents came up. He got in the pit. And it was pretty quiet on the way home. I remember my mom saying they were so mad. And he said from the back seat, he said, um, I just want to add one thing. Um, so everybody else right now in the world could be practicing and I'm not. And that means everybody besides me, it has an opportunity right now to be improving. And there's someone out there who's improving and getting better while I'm not. So if I'm going to stay ahead of my competition, I can't let that happen. And it was such a, a valid point that my parents, didn't really know what to say. And and it, and it made sense. It gave them a better glimpse into his approach mentally to the game. And he's often said, as we talk about some of the really good junior golfers that he used to play against, and we would say, gosh, whatever happened, he was so good. He said he stopped getting better. It doesn't matter if you're good at 10 or 15 or 20 or 30. If you don't continue to get good, it, it just, it doesn't matter. You're going to be done. So he's constantly looking to get better any way he can. Wow. And that is, that is just a perfect glimpse into the, the mindset of a champion such as Phil. And uh, yeah, that's just one of my favorite stories. I love that. <laughs> thanks. Thanks for telling that. So sure. do you guys all still get together for family vacations? I think I recalled you taking and posting a stunning picture of shirtless Phil on the beach this past summer. So that would, oh that would God. lend me to think that you're still out there together. Okay. So that got so out of control. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, yeah, that was not, um, intended for, uh, how it, um, how it made such a 
slash no pun intended but um yeah we do quite often um we love our family just likes spending time together we genuinely like each other just two days ago so my brother tim my dad and i just went down and played our little neighborhood golf course that we grew up on and we which played, course is that it's mission trails golf course yep. um just a few miles from where we live and we teed off the Monday after Father's Day, 820, and it was gorgeous. There weren't that many people out, although it was crowded enough for us to feel good that golf courses are getting the support that we're hoping they get during this time. But, you know, it's just, it was really fun to go play this course again that we haven't played in such a long time that we played hundreds of times as kids and the memories and that's actually the golf course where the story has is out there. It's a pretty common story where when Phil was quite young, I want to say four or five, maybe maybe a little bit older, he saw on TV guys throwing their clubs and getting mad, and he thought it looked cool. So on one of the holes, he hit a bad shot, and he kind of threw his club and got disgruntled. And my dad said, oh, you, you doesn't look like you're having fun you are not going to play until you can have fun. So you just walk with me or you can go to the car, but you're not playing. And so about two holes later, my dad, and, and he, he kind of relived this little scene at the exact spot on Monday where this happened. He said, I got a little tug on my shirt. And he said, Dad, I think I can have fun now. And my dad said that was the last time he ever threw a club or got uh, visibly upset on the course. And um, so it's just fun to relive those memories and this is where it happened. And, oh, do you remember we hit into that group? And it, it was just fun. A lot of wow, fun. That's, that's very cool. That's awesome to hear. And, you know, along those lines, for the past few seasons, Tim's actually been caddying for Phil. So how awesome has that been to really watch them out there together? It must be surreal to see both your little brothers just working together out on the course. It it really is. It's been absolutely incredible because, and, and as a sister, I feel good knowing they're together out there. Um, Kim has spent a lot of time traveling on his own for his job, and obviously so has Phil. And now with um, Phil's wife, Amy, and the kids, eight, the kids are older, they have schedules, it's harder for them to get on the road and, and be at every tournament like they used to. And so knowing that Tim and Phil are together and his um, swing coach, Andrew Getson, who's been awesome, um, it's like a little family out there together. And um, it, it's it's a lot of fun to watch because knowing them so well, both of them and their demeanor and the way they talk, it's really fun to watch these events and see them go back and forth. And I can tell who is making a better point. Oh, Tim, I can tell. Tim's trying to tell him to play a different club. Oh, yeah, I can tell by his demeanor that he's actually playing the club, Tim said, or not. And um, it's, it's really, it adds a whole new dynamic to watching golf. Yeah, Tim tried to tell him not to hit the three wood out of the pot bunker, but you know Phil just did it anyways. Yeah, that, that would be fun. Oh yeah, there's lots of fun stories. So just changing gears for a second, you're you're currently an ambassador at the Santa Luz Club in San Diego. 
Um, yes. can, you, can you tell us a little bit about that role and what you do specifically for the game of women's golf? Oh, sure. So at the Santa Luz Club, what I do is I offer a number of clinics to the members each month and trying to get as many members as possible more comfortable with the game. And we try to be very creative in terms of making our approach to each different member. There's so many different needs in terms of some don't have time to play 18 holes during the week. So we have events or clinics or get-togethers that accommodate those kinds of schedules like nine holes in the afternoon. We have a lot of nine and wines during the summer, um, couples matches. So um, things like that to make the club more social, but also golf more um, um, accessible to these different schedules. I also like to do um, I do a lot of work with the membership director there, trying to showcase the club to potential members and new members. Now, besides that, it's very important for a club to have an active women's club, and that doesn't just mean competitive. There's a lot of women who we just want to come out and enjoy the game. Just have a nice Tuesday ladies' day, and we've really seen that grow quite a bit. And when I first came on board 15 years ago with them, what we noticed was, and this is not a stretch, uh, women are very intimidated by the game, by knowing proper etiquette, rules, slowing down play. They're very self-conscious and they don't want to be in anyone's way and they don't want to cause a scene. So what I've been doing with Santa Luz as well as Callaway Golf, this has been our focus as well, is first and foremost making women as comfortable with the game in terms of their swing and knowledge so that they want to go out onto the golf course and play. And then a lot of it, honestly, has included me working with the membership director and trying to put together similar personalities in clinics. So we'll put a clinic together of four to six ladies that we feel have a lot in common, kids the same age, similar interests. I will give them a clinic and then I will take them up to the golf shop and we'll have some cocktails and appetizers. And by the end of that, these women are making tea times together because it's it's not just about golf. It's about more than that. And it's it's wonderful to see. So to watch this, this ladies club grow in terms of interest, it has been really rewarding because I know how great the game of golf is. And I want everyone to know that. Yeah, that's just awesome. And we've known a little bit about that work that you've done. And um, you know, what is some of the best advice that you would give for that woman looking to pick up the game of golf? You know, from my perspective, there are obviously more barriers for women entering the sport than men. Yes, I I agree. Um, but I think those barriers are self-made in the minds of the women, or at least mm -hmm. a lot of those barriers. Yep. Um, I My first piece of advice would be, Nobody cares. They're out there worrying about their own game, 
what they're doing. They're not watching you play. They're worried about their next shot. So as long as you keep up with the group, and if you're worried about that, there's nothing wrong with picking up your ball. If you have swung and hit, missed it three times, or if you swung and hit in the junk three times, pick up your ball and drop it on the green when everyone gets up there and putt out. Nobody cares. What they do care about is the uncomfortable person, whether it's male or female, in the group who is constantly apologizing, oh, sorry, 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 or is unsure of themselves, or just own it, play your game, keep up with everyone, and have fun. People will remember how they felt when they were playing with you. They know, oh, yeah, I had fun with her. I don't know what she what she shot. I don't remember what her swing was like, but, boy, did we laugh. That's what they care about. That's, yeah, that's fantastic advice. That's perfect. Um, you know, and in the past, you you wrote a piece for us that actually went pretty viral when when Phil retweeted it for us um, regarding gender bias in our sport. Um, now, with everything that's going on with the Black Lives Matter movement, what can the game of golf do to sort of further embrace the overall diversity, whether that be on the grounds of gender or race? Well, I think as long as you are making the game as available as you possibly can, I, I think that's all you can do. And there's a variety of different ways you can do that. Um, I think we've seen a lot, a, a great example in the First Tee program and what they're doing across the nation for junior golfers who might not have access to the game otherwise, but what they're also doing is supporting their after-school efforts in terms of tutoring and making sure their homework is done. And then once that's complete, now you can go out onto the golf course and here's our instruction. And I've spent some time down there at um, First Tee here in San Diego, um, used to be Pro Kids. And I've seen how they have embraced their director, who has since gone on to do the same thing over in France, I believe. And I saw the impact when the announcement was made that he was leaving to go do this elsewhere. It was as if a parent was leaving these these kids. And it was interesting because he had no idea. that yet, like he, It was honestly a surprise that he had impacted these kids to that degree. Um, and I don't mean to be getting off subject, but my point is he made these kids feel like they were important and their parents might be at work after school and they had somewhere to go to do something that they really loved and they had people there helping them and guiding them while their parents were at work and they, they wouldn't have had that otherwise at that specific time of the day. So having said that, my point is making the game as accessible to those who want to play it as possible. Donate your clubs whenever you can. If you know somebody who has been wanting to take up the game, offer to take them to the golf course, play nine holes. Um, in, and the PGA of America does a great job as well. You can check out their website, and they have numerous um, ideas of how you can help promote the game of golf um, as as best way as you possibly can, given your resources. 
Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, preach. So let's, right? let's, end, let's end on a fun note here. We'll do some okay. quick hits, family style. Okay. Uh, I'm going to ask you a question, and you respond with the sibling that correlates. So okay. include, include yourself in this. Just, like have a, just have a feel. Okay. Who who has the biggest appetite? Right now, I do because my brothers are fasting. They're on this diet where they go back and forth and they fast. And we were just talking about this, and I tried it and I lasted eight hours. So I would say me right now. All right, one for Tina. Who's the biggest brown noser? Oh, Phil. Yeah, I could I could have guessed that. Oh yeah. How about the best student? Ooh, Tim. All right. Uh, one apiece. Yeah. Who's the worst loser? Phil. How about the best overall athlete? Um, oh, gosh. I would say Tim. And one final one. Who has the best calves? Me. <laughs> that's, an, that's an upset. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, That's funny. Well, I I think that's it for this session of Quarantine Chronicles. Thanks for your time, Tina. Uh, We'll be looking forward to your takeover of For Her um, here in a couple weeks. And in the meantime, all the best for you and and stay safe. Thank you so much. I I love what I do with you guys. And um, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. You got it. We really appreciate you as well, Tina. So take care. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.